They're still not down there. I feel like this should just be the start of the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's just start, and I'll cut that back then in. Yeah? Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity, and I like it to be very couples. clean. All acted very simple. The matching couples. Oh, my Lord. I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal-looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird taste. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly, if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating, almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now, here's the show. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. How you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing all right. But man, last week was frustrating because you know how you were late and then we went late and that whole thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. I got to the train station and there weren't any trains that were leaving right away and the train took longer than I thought the train was going to take to get me to the airport. Right. So I ended up just having to take a cab. And when I looked up how much a cab was going to be, it basically said it was going to be about a third of the price that it ended up being. Really? And it was it was just frustrating. That's BS. It was more expensive than my round trip ticket to and from Milan. Really? That's what? That's why? That's criminal. I mean, that's the weird situation that the world is in, where certain things are still outrageously expensive and certain things are just crazy cheap now. I'm surprised Uber isn't bigger there or exists there, because I feel like that those are the kind of markets they want to be in. Yeah, they've rolled out to a lot of places. But yeah, with Ryanair, you can fly incredibly cheaply. Like flying between the UK and Ireland, it's like 10 euro. That's like $11. And flying round trip to Milan was like 60 euro or something like that. Which, you know, when you think about how cheap that is, yeah, that's just yeah, shocking. Yeah, ridiculous. But then, yeah, that stupidly rushed cab to the airport was more than that. And that was frustrating. Man, that's so yeah. weird. How yeah. a cab costs more than a round trip ticket to and from two different countries. Yeah. I mean, it is great how cheap flights are out here in Europe. But it's frustrating that not everything matches that, you know? Yeah, makes sense. It would frustrate me too. I would throw a fit. I was less than excited. I was very frustrated, especially because when I looked it up online, it said it was going to be so much cheaper. Now, obviously, I must have looked at the wrong source or an updated source or something right. like that. I was in a hurry. Still got right? you. But they still got me. Did not turn out ideally. All right, we do have a couple things that I wanted to follow up on this week. Mm-hmm. A couple corrections to start. A few episodes ago, we had talked about owning a car and driving places yes. and commutes and all of that and i had made the assertion that not having a car saves me time he was wrong yeah like i i want to clarify that like clearly not having a car slows a whole lot of things down and it makes a whole lot of things take longer but what i meant was well one i go fewer places and do fewer things because of it which some people could see as a downside but i eliminate things that i don't actually have to do and two the time that i spend going to and from places is more enjoyable and feels more productive and is just better. And so even though I maybe spend more time walking to some store instead of driving to the store, you do enjoy and appreciate that time. And if you want to spend time walking anyway, and you want to spend time listening to a podcast or listening to an audiobook anyway, then it's not a wasted chunk of time like it might be if you were in the car. Yeah, that's that's what I meant, just to be clear. He also has a second correction that I would like to talk about. Something about yes. Hurricane Sandy being the only hurricane that's killed people in the last 50 years, but I think John was wrong. Go ahead, tell him, John. Okay, the last major death-dealing hurricane in New York was in 1938, called the New England Hurricane. 
But yes, there have been, since 1938, 13 hurricanes that have caused some yeah. sort of deaths in New York. It's not that bad, so I, I Michael. incorrect about the last one in 50 years. I think what I was yeah. remembering must have been that it was the last one that caused significant deaths, because most of these caused, like, one death or two deaths. When you're thinking about a place that has, depending on where you draw the boundaries, like, 8 to 14 million people. Yeah, one, one life isn't is that really big of a pretty, deal. John doesn't respect human life at all, is why he's saying that. One death out of 14 million yeah, go ahead, is, you know, sentence. that's called tripping on the sidewalk that's what that is this is the kind of person like in somebody in a storm would have died just from dying because people die in that situation all the time the storm probably didn't even cause that death it was probably just like oh he happened to die of a heart attack and they thought he was scared of the storm or something <laughs> but he would just died of a heart attack because you have so many people somebody's gonna die hey man tell yourself whatever you have to tell yourself i'm pretty sure they did the research they weren't just like oh here's a dead body and there was just a storm that's what must have killed them i don't know that seems like exactly what somebody would do or they would have been like oh how did he die you have a storm you walk out there's a dead guy on the sidewalk it's like oh look put two and two together it Uh must have been the storm yes that's what people do coroners don't exist they don't like examine bodies and find out how they died or anything you're right not in like the 30s and 40s 13 between 80 years i'm sure some of those were like in the 80s and 90s yeah some of them were more recent that's true anyway so yes those those are the corrections oh i also wanted to say something else so i had mentioned a while ago when we were talking about time tracking and efficiency, my parents and how they used to watch a lot of TV. I I wanted to specify that when I was younger, they did watch quite a bit of TV. When they were busy, they were working, they had kids and all of that. But I think I I misrepresented it, perhaps. Uh, They, for a while, watched a lot of TV. But in the last few years, they've completely changed their lives. They've both retired at this point. They're, like, wandering around, traveling the world. They've managed to rent their house and just off the rent fund, like, massive travels across Europe and Asia and stuff. Like, they're very active, adventurous people. They don't just sit and watch TV all day, every day, and let their lives slowly dwindle into nothing. Or they just sit and watch TV all over the world. Yeah, maybe that's what they do. They fly to Tokyo and watch TV there and (laughs) see see what the TV's like. (laughs) See what the TV's like in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that's probably more likely. So, at your recommendation, I guess it was your recommendation, because you always Mm -hmm. read The Economist, I got interested, and I got my own subscription, and I've been reading it for the last year or so. Yeah, I've been pushing you to get it. And it's cool, and it's pretty, like, informative, but, like, one of the things that I find really jarring is that they don't list the authors for their articles in the the magazine. Right, this is true. to me, it's, I don't know if it's just from something, you know, just from learning in school, it irks me. Like I see it, and it really, it really gets under my skin because it's it's been drilled into my head the importance of the you know validity of the information you're reading mm-hmm. based on who the author is. You know what I mean? It's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, well, because you know you don't know if the person who's writing it is an expert in the field or not. If it's anonymous, it could be anyone. And I know the Economist has a very good reputation, but it's just like when I see it, it makes it hard for me to take it as seriously. Because I'm also subscribed to the Bloomberg Business Week that does mm-hmm. list their yeah, authors, like most you know, so if I do read something and I think it's a little weird, I'll just look them up and be like, oh, you know, they do seem like they're experts in the field that they're talking about. And I'm sure well, I could you know, find I, it if I looked it up. It's just... Yeah, they do just, have their their staff listed online especially the editorial staff so you can find out who these people are but that's actually an interesting thing i hadn't thought about this when i read you wanting to talk about the fact that they don't put their authors i hadn't thought about the fact that you ascribe authority to the people but the reason why i read the economist and i think that the economist is so valuable is because obviously a lot of the things i read in there i don't necessarily know about 
Mm-hmm. So if they're talking about a change of the president or the election that just happened in Kenya or something like that, I don't necessarily know a lot of details walking into that article. But whenever they do talk about something that I know a lot about, I can see that everything that they're saying is legit. Everything that they're saying makes sense. All of their arguments are valid. All of their information, as far as I can tell, is correct and consistent. And so when I look at it, the author doesn't really matter because anything that I can verify is correct, right? So so like when I have an argument, for instance, with somebody in person, obviously if I'm arguing with like a professor about their topic that they like teach and study, I will give more credence to what they're saying in terms of like factual information. But if somebody's making an argument and the argument is sound, and I can't come up with any reason why the argument's not sound, it doesn't matter if I think that person's a bit of a crackpot. I'm going to take in and listen to their argument because I think their argument is valid. Or at least I can't figure out why it's not. And so... It's interesting that you think of it in terms of the authority perspective, because, yeah, that, that's not something that I think about at all. I don't know. I think it's just something that's been drilled into my head constantly. Sure. Like, is it legit? Yeah. And, How and, do you know it's legitimate if it's, sure. you know, an anonymous source? Well, and this and is... It's you know, a good argument doesn't necessarily mean the information is accurate. It's not an anonymous source. I think the way to think about it is from a branding perspective, and this is something that I do want to talk to you about another time, how branding works and how trust when you're consuming something works. But think about it like this. Normally, if you were going to go into a store, let's say you want to buy, I don't know, peanut butter. Sure. If you yeah. go into Vons, a grocery store, Walmart, something, you can look at the different peanut butters and you can say, okay, I know what Jif is, I know what Skippy is, I know what this other organic only peanuts peanut butter is because I live in San Francisco. (laughs) And so you know those individual brands, right? Those are like the authors. But if you take a step back, there are some stores, not very many, but there are some stores that don't include brands. They only include generic brands. Or if you could just imagine a store like Costco that has a lot of their Mm -hmm. own brands. Sure. Where everything is Kirkland. And so you don't know anything about that specific product, but you know that it's all Kirkland. It's endorsed by Costco. Costco always does good stuff. So you can trust it because I it's Costco. I suppose one way to look at it. Yeah. And, and, you know, if my trust gets destroyed because they do some stupid things, then my trust gets destroyed. And the problem with doing this is that they have to be consistent with everything. Whereas if you look at something like the New York Times, if you have one columnist who's a bit crazy and says crazy things, they can just be like, yeah, this is this one columnist. This is how he views things. And so it doesn't destroy the entire newspaper. It only maybe destroys his reputation. But with them, their whole reputation is That's behind the whole thing. absolutely fair. I don't disagree. It's just, I don't know. Like, I, yeah. It's just something that's been ingrained in me. It's like, oh, you can't, you know. Sure. Well, and I can see why it would annoy you. Like, I've argued with my brother about this because he often wants to look up different things that the authors have written. Because a lot of them have written books and things like that. Yes. And if you don't know who wrote something, it's hard to be like, oh, I like this guy's stuff. I want to read his other stuff. Yes. Uh, so th- there are a lot of drawbacks to it. Let me just real quickly explain why I think they do it. The newspaper was started to fight against the corn laws, which were these, it, it's beside the point, but essentially they were fighting for free trade back in the late 1700s, I think, or early 1800s, when it was originally wow. founded. Yeah. And so their whole point was to change public opinion on this topic that the founders thought was very important. And so they wanted to speak with one mm-hmm, voice, mm-hmm. from what I understand. And the way they phrase everything, they always say, this newspaper thinks, right? And so okay. their, their whole purpose behind this is that they want to not allow for dissension. They speak with one voice, they move together, because there's a certain worldview that underpins at least the editorial right. sections of The Economist, that they're very open and very clear about. And I think removing the authors is just one more step that they take in order to say, we are one body that acts together together. And this is what we have come up with. This is what we think. 
This is not what he thinks yeah, or she thinks. That makes sense. That's valid. But yeah, I understand. It can be that's disconcerting. Mind about it. Still irks me. Still irks me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's pretty neat, though. That's pretty interesting to think about it that way. Which also makes me think: How many really like intelligent, famous people like to write under pseudonyms? Like back in the day, it's just mm, I don't know. right. Well, that's actually a good point. Like a pseudonym. I mean, that whole that completely yeah. scares food. We can talk about that another time. Yeah, I don't okay. know enough pseudonyms. <laughs> I know we don't normally focus on things yes. that are in the news because that's no. that's not our way. But it's, it's this huge story that I've been mm-hmm. following for a very mm-hmm. long time, and there have been some major developments. So it's the secessionism within Spain, in particular, Catalonian secessionism. Obviously, the Basque Country and Galicia also have secessionist movements, but Catalonia is the one where it's kind of come to a head yeah, in real. recent weeks. It and is real. Yeah. So I wanted to just for anybody that's not following it, let me just give you guys a quick. Break update and some of the specifics as to where we are now. Now, obviously, you guys are going to get this on somewhat of a delay, so it's possible that new exciting events have unraveled since this. But essentially, they've been trying to leave Spain, Catalonia, which is this northeastern region of Spain that is the richest part of Spain and is focused around Barcelona. They've been trying to leave Spain for a long time. A lot of them have, anyway. And they had some of their kind of devolved rights. So if you want to think about it in a U.S. context, kind of like state rights, they were removed back in 2011. Uh, there was a central government in Madrid that wanted to kind of centralize some more authority. And so some of the things that they managed before at a local level were removed. And this has, along with a number of other things over the last couple of decades, inflamed people there and caused a lot of people to want to leave. So back a few years ago, there was a referendum in Scotland about leaving the UK. And this was allowed by the UK government. And Catalonia wanted to have a similar thing and so they've been pushing since whenever that was 2015 to have their own and the national government has given them no give at all they basically said you have no right this is against the constitution and so essentially they eventually got to the point where they were like screw it we're gonna do it we don't care what the national government says Go hard in the and so they held a referendum a month ago or so the referendum was about a month ago there was relatively low turnout because the people that wanted to stay in the country boycotted. We don't actually have verified results, but the national government of Catalonia wants to leave, so they have a bit of a bias. <laughs> or not national government, sorry. The, the yeah. regional government. That's Somebody's not, that's not process. The, it, yeah. the regional government, yeah. Uh, so they said that there was a 43% turnout, which is o- almost the, the amount that we had in the U.S. for our last presidential election. Uh, I don't even think it was that close, dude. No, there was no. about 43%. I think there was like 46 or 47% of the turnout in, in the States. I think it was this is a lot less than that, actually. I'm going to Google it. No. It was about half. But they said there was 43% turnout, and about 90% of the people that voted voted to leave. But the Spanish government actually stopped people from voting and detained a lot of people around this election. And so people were very upset. People were protesting this whole move by them. And the government of Catalonia was so upset that they unilaterally mm-hmm. declared independence. This happened, I don't know, two, three weeks ago now. And so they declared independence, and very quickly, the national government in Madrid dissolved their government and said, that's illegal, you guys are doing things that are illegal, Mm -hmm. and went in to arrest a whole bunch of the leaders. The head of Catalonia fled to Belgium, and so their government was dissolved, and the national government said they're going to have a new election for the regional government in December, I think. So that's where we are now. We don't know what's going to happen. There's this whole big thing that if they were to leave Spain, it's unknowable whether or not the EU will let them join the EU, or if they would be Mm -hmm. thrust out of the EU, which would be just bizarre. 
And so I just wanted your view on this whole saga, Mike, and what are your thoughts? So as far as, like, Catalonia goes, I mean, they make enough money, right? They make up, like, a large percentage of the GDP for Spain. If they can afford I think to... they're something like 20% of the population, and they make up something like 40% of the GDP. Right. Those numbers are very rough. I, I'd have to look them up. But yeah, it's significant. I think if they want to, and they can afford it, they should be able to. Now, I don't know if that's true for like okay. everyone in the whole world that wants to secede from someone. But Okay. Why do you think they should be able to? Because uh, one, culturally, they're different, or at least they think they're different culturally than the rest of the country. And I mean, well, they have they have their own language. They, they have yeah. They're obviously unhappy with the government. Yeah. And Clearly. I don't know. They have the money to. I feel like if you don't want to be a part of something, you can afford to not be a part of it, and you don't mesh with the broader culture. Yeah, just go do it. Mm. I mean, if you can, not if okay. the country might try to squash you in retaliation or something, but. Well, but do you think countries should well, try to squash people? That's because this is the thing. I, like I know I've probably showed right. my hand with talking about them being a national government, and I know we've talked before when we talked about China, and I find it dumbfounding that countries will not allow regions that are distinct to leave. And obviously, China is a much more extreme example. But there are certain arguments, right? Cause... Especially in this sort of situation, where the national government should try to retain them. And I, I completely agree. They they are large enough. I mean. I believe the population of Catalonia is larger than the population of Ireland or Denmark. I think it's close to Belgium. And so they're big enough and wealthy enough, you're right, they would completely be able to function as their own country. They would not need to be a part of Spain yeah, to but, I mean, survive and exist. There's such a large part of Spain's GDP that's detrimental to Spain. And I can see right, well, Spain wouldn't want that. I personally think that if they want to do it, they should be able to, and the government has to take the L, you know. That's, it just happens to sure, Maybe yeah. it should have been a better government. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You're right. I would generally agree. In this particular situation, and generally, if you have a group like this that's regionally distinct, ethnically somewhat distinct, they have their own language, they have some of their own history, even if they don't have their own political history, they have their own history as, like, a people, and they want to leave, it's right. hard for, especially in a democracy, for you guys to be like, no, the rest of the country owns you, and you guys don't have any rights to self-determination, like, that's that's a bit of a stretch yeah, for Yeah, but me. also, if I'm Spain, and I'm not, but if I were, I would not <laughs> want them to leave. That would make me very unhappy. Right, but the, me. the mechanisms by which you could keep them is, I think, the point. I mean, but if a region wants to leave, your role as the national government is to provide them incentives to stay. And if your incentives are not good enough to get them to stay, then you failed and they leave. And that's reasonable. I that think. might be reasonable. Wars have happened over things like that. Well, right. I mean, but would, obviously right. wars do happen over things like this. That's what the yeah. Civil War was in the U.S. There are lots of wars yeah. that have been fought over this sort of thing. That's what the Revolutionary War was. That doesn't mean that they should happen or that a democracy should have that happen. And they're also kind of in like a precarious position where despite their wealth and you know you were just talking about how the eu might be like nah sorry can't help you and if spain takes offense and that the spanish military can just be like stay or else we're gonna trash you true well and i think catalonia's whole strategy is kind of the indian independence strategy it, it, it would not be let's have a revolution and let's go to war let's arm the populace it would be that public opinion in the rest of Europe and the rest of the world would be so strong if Spain tried to put them down hard mm. that they would gain international support and then 
at least in the medium term, would gain a probability that Spain would just have to say fine. But maybe they could even just occupy them without being overly oppressive. Like, I'm sure they'll find right, a way if you to... Have massive street protests and things. Like, Spain's already caused injuries and arrested people and things. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if Barcelona and Catalonia upped the ante and were more aggressive and more outspoken and violent in their protests and things, it's not like the Spanish government would not have to respond to that if they were trying to occupy that region. Right. Especially considering the history of Spain and the Civil War and Franco and his massive oppression of regional groups. I guess that, that wouldn't look good. Yeah. Now, I mean, the crux of why a lot of people, I think, are not giving Catalonia their due in the way that people gave Scotland, I think, more of right. their due rests on two things. Okay. So one thing is that Catalonia does not have a distinct political history, okay. right? That's so they important, I think. Yeah, I I think a lot of people think of that as important. I don't really think of that as important, but I think a lot of people do. And and so like when you look at Scotland or even if you look at other smaller secessionist movements in the north of Italy with the Northern League or Bavaria or even Texas, all of those places have histories of self-rule. Right at various points, right? Scotland was an independent kingdom for hundreds of years. But Catalonia was always a part of another region or another larger kingdom or something Mm -hmm. like that. Now, I don't think that that really matters, especially when you look at the pre-nation state era, stuff before the 19th century. A lot of places were ruled by other people, Mm -hmm. right? Like Normandy was ruled by England. A lot of parts of France were ruled by England. They were never English, Northern Italy was ruled by Austria. It was never Austrian. The fact that India was ruled by England doesn't make it English. So I think the fact that it was a part of other larger political powers does not say anything about the ethnic or linguistic significance or distinction of that particular region. Because back then, before you had massive public schools and massive actual government involvement in people's everyday lives, you might have a government hundreds of miles away that is supposedly ruling over you that doesn't actually have any influence on anybody in their day-to-day lives and doesn't change your culture and they could rule you for hundreds or thousands of years like when you look at the ottoman empire they ruled some regions for hundreds of years and had negligible influence on the culture there or anything locally because all they basically did was collect taxes and provide military rule and that's pretty much it and so i don't think that the fact that they have maybe spain matters you know, take a gambit and just start teaching everyone Catalan or whatever and just integrating, you know, things from Catalonia into the Spanish culture, like in mass. You know what I mean? And then just be like, What are you talking about? You guys are just like the rest of Spain. Uh that sounds like not the right response. Probably not, but that's that's a weird idea. I just think it'd be interesting. You know, it might throw them, like, off guard, like, wait, what? What are you doing? What? Like, I don't... What? That's true, but how angry would Spanish people be if they were like, oh, now you guys have to learn Catalan because this one region is throwing a temper tantrum? Maybe it's not like you have to learn it, but it's like, we're going to start teaching it in schools. Okay. There's a lot of things that are taught in school that nobody really learns or remembers. I mean, can you tell me honestly that a lot of the students you had in Korea are going to be capable English speakers? That's true. A lot of them won't be. Yeah. That's something I actually hadn't really thought about, but you're right that obviously with a regional language like that, it would be much nicer if other people in the country spoke that language. Or like some other people. Like maybe not everybody, but maybe 10% of the Spanish population. But you're right. The rest of Spain doesn't speak it at all. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably a similar thing to how Portuguese is, where it seemed like everybody when I was in Portugal spoke Spanish, but I don't meet many Spanish people that speak Portuguese. Because one language is bigger than the other language. Right. One is clearly more important because it has 
more countries that speak it. Spain is much larger than Portugal. Yeah. It makes sense, but it's the kind of thing where yeah. you're right. It would it would just be nicer for them. Okay. So Catalonians might feel better. So, but the second thing. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that's what, was, yeah no, what did you want to ask? That's what I was going to say. I was going to be like, and the second thing. Okay. So the the second complaint that people have, and this is I think the big thing for a lot of people. Uh huh. So as we said, Catalonia is the richest part of Spain. Uh huh. And essentially, a lot of people are saying that Catalonia subsidizes the rest of the country. Right. And they're just doing this because they don't think they get enough money. Hmm. They are angry that they're the richest and that they have to kind of help and support their poorer southern brethren and compatriots down in, like, Granada. That's, and that's an interesting thought. Yeah, because that's a similar thing that a lot of people are saying in the Northern League with Italy uh-huh. that has just had this large secessionist movement, obviously much smaller much less unified than right. in Catalonia. But essentially, the Northern League wants more money. They want less of their money to go down to the, as many of them would say, the mafia-infested the South. The mafia-infested South. That's how they would say it, not John. No, that's how they would say it, yeah. clearly. That's that's very Italian of me. But yeah, you look at places like Venice and the area around Venice, and you look at places like Milan and the area around Milan, and that's their big industrial heartland. That's the place that makes a lot of the money. Actually, the economy in that region of Italy is much closer to what Germany has. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the South just has massive amounts of unemployment and massive amounts of not necessarily poverty, but people that are getting a lot of public support. Right. And it's all funded by the people in the are North. Are they just, and, like, more rural areas? or It's hard to say. It's not really more rural areas, no, because both of these countries, Italy even more than Spain, well, are very urban. Well, I just meant, like, south of Spain. I was the south of Spain, the south of Italy, sorry. I guess both, technically, since they're both the south of... I'm not sure. I think Naples is the second biggest city mm-hmm. in Italy. It might be... It's close to the size of Rome. And there are a number of cities in the south. Like, it's, it's not a particularly rural place like i would say the north is actually where more small towns are but there's a lot of debate about why it is that the north is wealthier like you can make a lot of arguments about the fact that they were controlled by the austrian hungarian empire until fairly recently Uh um, until you know world war one you can make a lot of arguments about their influence from switzerland or their influence from germany or you know right like that they, they are more connected into all of that they were more connected into train networks earlier there are a number of reasons why the north is wealthier than Just the south luck. right a lot of yes you could you could say yeah, that I too mean, geographic um, luck I don't, I don't know right geographic luck a lot of these things are somewhat happenstance but the point is that whatever the reason it doesn't matter because people are saying, oh, they're just richer and they want to keep their money and they don't want to help the other people. Right. Because Catalonia, it's even more stark than in Italy because in Italy, it's kind of like the northern third of the country versus the southern two thirds. Like Catalonia, it's an even smaller region of the country. And so they have even less pull, I guess, justification, I guess. So those are the two reasons that a lot of people are like, this is just silly. These people just want more money. And so it's kind of just... That seems plausible. Yeah. And I mean, obviously there are a lot of arguments on the other side, but... Yeah, I just, I mean, I could see that because, I mean, one region wants to do something in their self-interest and then the larger region surrounding it wants to do the opposite in their own self-interest. Right. And so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think they have a right to. If if they want to, they should. But also... If you're Spain, this is gonna this is gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt a lot. Yeah, and I would I would I would do whatever it took. Kiss their butts. Okay. Strong arm them. Yeah. Just find a way. You know. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like they should be very actively trying to negotiate to give them more of their money because they do take a lot of their money and send it to the rest of the country. Right. I mean, give them something, a little something, just something that sure. makes them feel like they won. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Even if it's not major. That, and that may not work, but at least it could work. And and. There are a lot of polls that show that a lot of Catalonians want 
to have a better deal within Spain. They want to have more of their money in Spain, but they don't necessarily want to leave the country. And so that sort of thing would win over a lot of so people. So while we're on the subject, how big of like a region do you think has a right to do this, to secede? Hmm. Like what, what would be too small or too yeah. uh, low in population? Does the proportion matter nearly as much as like the number of people living in the area? Or does, like, the amount of land that the people live on matter? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question. I, I Like, for example, do you think if, like, somewhere in Europe there is, like, a city that bordered two countries and they were part of country A, but they're like, you know what, we feel culturally closer to country B. We want to be part of country B. Yeah, no, that that is an interesting question. I struggle with it. So the things I immediately want to jump to, I actually don't believe right like i immediately jumped to you should have to look at some sort of assessment of whether or not you would be able to viably exist as a country independently right i don't really believe that though because repeatedly we've been shown that places that we once thought could not exist independently actually are fine like when you look at singapore right singapore is a city that when it separated from malaysia was very small Mm -hmm. and it has almost no land outside of the city and it's fine you know like in a globalized international trade system that we have since forever now they can just buy what they need and so i don't think that you need a certain amount of land i i also jump to the idea that you need kind of this distinct culture or to exist kind of as a nation because the thinking that i come from in terms of Mm -hmm. original like nationalism i do think that it's best if a country is somewhat cohesive in terms of at least some of the cultural or political beliefs that they have but i don't really believe that because i think one of the biggest strengths of the u.s and canada and australia is that they are so ethnically diverse and have such diverse backgrounds and of cultures and things like that and so i don't i don't really believe that that should be a huge determinant so i think for me the the primary thing that needs to be a determinant is how unified and how strongly the populace wants to leave. So it's just ultimately like their desire to be independent. Yeah. Like when we were looking at the Scottish referendum, right, a couple years ago, uh-huh. I was mm-hmm. astounded by the fact that they only needed 50% of the population to leave. Right? Now they didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. But could you imagine if 51% of the population decided, yeah, we want to be our own country, and then the other 49% of the population that wanted to stay part of the UK was forced out of their country like that seems crazy to me i think you need a i I think you need a higher bar i think you need two-thirds or three-fourths of the population to want to leave something like that yeah yeah like at least like close to 65 percent right if not more yeah yeah exactly two-thirds to three-fourths i think is the the bar that should be set somewhere in that range because you look at it and i mean imagine if scotland was independent and then 49 percent of the population didn't want to be in this new country immediately as this country is starting well one the the country that existed before the uk is disenfranchising half of the population and saying you 49 percent you'll you're going to now be forced to live under the thumb of this other smaller this other small group that wants independence it's only half the population and you're creating a country that's immediately extremely divided which i think Mm -hmm. is detrimental and dangerous 
right? I mean, when you look yeah. at Irish independence... That's how you get the NRA, man. That, that, well, that's how you get the IRA. <laughs> like, when you look at Irish independence and Ireland leaving I totally the UK, meant to say IRA. Yeah, 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 I figured. Uh, I was I, like, NRA is a little bit too much in your mind. I can't even say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just think about that. IRA, all the time. Yeah. yes. There are a whole lot of weird circumstances around why Northern Ireland was separated off. But to make a long story short, essentially, a large portion of Northern Ireland, at least in the Belfast region did not want to leave. They wanted to stay as part of the UK, right? And when you have that sort of thing, if they were forced to be in this new country of Ireland, they were concerned that they would be abused and have a lot of problems and disenfranchisement because, one, they had supported the crown, which the rest of Ireland wouldn't really like, and two, they were Protestant, and the rest of Ireland was pretty much Catholic, and so they were concerned that they would be abused in the way that Catholics were abused prior under the English monarchy for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so... When you look at this, if you have a country that's starkly divided on this sort of thing, allowing them to become independent creates a lot of dangers for the people that didn't want to become independent, I think. Right. And so I think, yeah, there needs to be a high bar. But that's pretty much it. I do think that, you know, I'm not sure. I'm torn about about the idea that when a country moves to be independent, I do think that one of the stipulations probably should be that they have some sort of pre- defined governmental structures or something do you know what that i mean like sense. like they have it planned out they're not just like gung-ho about it that they have some sort of idea of how to exactly run. now obviously that doesn't really work because when you look at it historically the u.s it didn't have any be... kind of plan when we broke right. away you know like like most countries when they break away like india india had no idea what they were going to be doing when they broke away and they i mean they had obviously a really terrible time of it because of the English had so much say over how they broke away and everything like that and caused a whole lot of stuff with partition. But, mm. yeah, I don't know. I, like, That's difficult. I don't think that that can actually be a requirement because I think if you're in a, this movement toward independence, like you're not going to be able to make those decisions when you're still fighting to separate. But, yeah, I don't know. That, that's a very difficult question for me. So I know after Trump was elected, there was this whole big thing about California wanting to leave the U.S. and all of this sort of thing, right? Right. Um, and there's always this conversation around Texas wanting to leave and how the rest of the uh-huh. country just says, fine, you should leave. Um, right. How do you feel about American states leaving and things like that? Do you think uh, you view it the same way? You know, honestly, I think if some state feels really strongly about leaving yeah, and the country feels like it wouldn't be hurt, Mm-hmm. By, by their departure. Yeah, I'd be okay with it. Well, but the the country feeling hurt by their departure is. I meant like financially or something. Like in a way that actually affects the country negatively, not just like our feelings are hurt. We don't like this. Like that's not what I mean. I don't care about that. But as long as it doesn't have like a long lasting like negative impact on like the economy or. But what if it does? Other, then I would, like I said, I try to pull a Spain I'd either kiss their butts or I'd strong okay. arm them but like by what means what Spain. means do you think is it acceptable like if Texas actually wanted to leave would it be okay to send in the US <sighs> army and like stop them in the way that we did in the Civil War I don't think it would be okay but I do think it's the American way and that's what would happen yeah I completely agree that's what would happen yeah in that very particular like instance I don't think there would be a lot of international support yeah, like, I don't think they yeah, would Yeah, the rest of the world would not care if we stopped Texas. Yeah, from yeah, if Texas wanted You're to. Right. Yeah, yeah. They would be okay with it. They would just be like, oh, you know, crazy American state, try to do some crazy American stuff, and then America Yeah, well, and I, I think that that generally applies in almost every independence movement, that 
obviously the country that's trying to become independent is smaller and weaker than the country that currently rules it, right? Um, and no right. one wants to come out and piss off the big country by recognizing the small country until it's like a decided thing that they're going to be independent. And so, I mean, yeah, I don't think a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, yay, Texas, you know. I mean, that was a huge right. thing in the Civil War. Also... England essentially recognized the South and supported the South in a lot of ways. And we almost went to war with England after the Civil War because we had to, because we, we, we couldn't resolve the fact that they had supported the South. Um, and it took it took a right. lot of diplomacy to get past that. I mean, to be fair, what do you expect? I would do the same thing. You're England, you get hurt by the U.S. or the colonies or whatever, pre-U.S., and then, and, oh, the U.S. is having its own, like, semi-revolution, of Right, course. it makes sense. It's and it weakens big. the U.S., which obviously the U.K. would yeah. not be hurt by having another big rival weakened. Right. So, yeah, no, I understand why the UK yes. did what they did, especially yeah. with their considering their trading relations with the southern states and everything. But yeah, it's it's an odd thing right. because whenever I think back to the Civil War, no one ever supports the idea that the South should have been allowed to leave. Right. But that does contradict yeah, your whole I mean, thing, right? But I also think that, if, for example, because we've been talking about Texas wanting to leave, I don't think they could declare independence without some kind of support from some why other country, like a major country. I don't know because. It legitimizes them and gives them like a little more sympathy for the rest of the world because they're like, well, France is on but why board. Should that I think generally it's like, say something does get sort of yeah. hairy, you know, it, it gets bad. And then you have, you know, this country that's behind you and they could be like, you know, if you do that, you know, we're going to throw sanctions at you if you attack. Well, right. So that's, that, yeah, I, I agree that that increases the, their odds of success, but that that shouldn't matter. Because, I mean, when one region is so much smaller than, like, the rest of the country they want to leave, so you just need that support so that maybe the country is a little more mindful with how they handle the situation. Because I think it's very easy for the larger, more powerful states right, to no, just like, I, I get drop the saying. hammer on them. What you're saying, though, is that it's more likely to be successful if they have international support, which I completely agree with. But it shouldn't matter. Right, and uh, well, I'm, and that's my point is that say everyone's on board. If everyone's on board and they want to leave, yeah. it would be good to just have some support so that it would be easier for them to skedaddle. But if California even. had a vote and eighty percent of the population wanted to leave the United States, I don't think that we need you know Japan to sign off on it before that we can leave. Well, it's not like a sign off. I think it would just be good to have a country be like, yeah, you know, we we support you. No. We'll like no, obviously you it would be nice to have too, allies too, on your way out. Too heavy like for that. you, like, and that's that's what I mean. It's like just just be ready, you know, prepare. Especially a country that's already proven that it doesn't take secession, you know, lightly. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but most countries don't. Most countries fight tooth and nail, which is something that right. I don't really understand, but it's very consistent. I think it's also like a like an image thing. You want it to seem unified. You're breaking down into smaller and smaller countries, and maybe you're not as yeah, strong as see that. people. There's a lot of posturing. Made you out to be, or makes it easier for some other country to be like, mm, I don't know if we really want to like trade with you. You can't even keep this little region, you know, yeah. in line. Or can I ask you another question about this? Not in mm-hmm. terms of whether or not people should be able to, but okay. So let me just take a step back real quick because I always need to preface things because I'm me. So Why I think the trajectory throughout history over the last several thousand years 
generally mm-hmm. has been toward larger countries. Mm-hmm. Now, there okay. is this one big blip in like the 17 and the 1800s, but mostly the 1800s, where you have these just enormous empires, right? Where you have the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, things like that. Right. But generally yeah, speaking, yeah, yeah. countries have gotten larger. Like when you look at, you know, medieval Europe versus later Europe, like France originally was not all France. It was smaller places. When you look at, you know, the UK was originally a bunch of different countries. Spain right. had like, I don't know, six kingdoms at one point. So we have this general trajectory. Obviously, the U.S. has gotten much larger. Canada has gotten much larger. Do you think that the world is better with these really much larger countries? Do you think the world would be better if the EU eventually formed into, like, one actual country? Or do you think it's better to have a lot of smaller countries? Like, which which do you like better? Which do you prefer? Which do you think makes the world function better? Because this is one of the other debates, just to let you think about it for a second, that I've had with some people about the EU. I think the United States works much better now with smaller states, or not not smaller states, but with states being a smaller portion of the country than what it did at the Civil War or the Revolution. When you only had 13 or 20 or 25 Mm -hmm. states... Like, one state could really affect things. Right. Like, when it first got started, the mm-hmm. reason why we got the Constitution to defend small states is because New right. York and Virginia were looking like they would be so incredibly powerful that places like Rhode Island and Vermont mm-hmm. might have been just crushed by it. And and right. so right. so when I look at the EU, it's so dominated by the large players like the UK, Germany, right. France, Italy, that if those countries broke up into smaller countries, it would be much more like the US and one country like Germany would have much less power if Germany broke into three or four smaller countries as it used to be, you know, a hundred years ago. So I think like in particular with the EU, yeah. I don't know if it would benefit from being a whole country. Right. Because it just, how would it work? You know, like, what would the structure be? Who- I think if it really... Like, people have talked about the federalized states of Europe, like the United States of Europe. So it would work conceivably similar to the United States, where you have states like France and Germany, which have certain powers individually, but then they are mm-hmm. kind of this larger body that has a lot of powers. I mean, in that if you started turning them to states, I think you would have to break them up, because then it would be disproportionate. It seems really complicated. That seems like a very complicated thing to do. Well, yeah. Like, when you had the colonies, yeah, they were all kind of separate, but they all had come together for, like, a common goal, you know, to be independent. The European Union is more unified and more integrated than the colonies were when the United States was formed under the Articles of That's true, I know. They they all have the the currency and stuff. They have a currency. They have no tariffs, no restrictions on trade, pretty much. Like they're 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 much more unified than right. the Articles of Confederation made the United States at the beginning. Also, I mean, because would the countries even be on board? I'm sure. Well, but a lot that's of not them... that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking if they're on board. I'm asking what you think about it. Because like I've advocated before, you know, China breaking up into smaller countries and having Tibet be independent, Xinjiang right. be independent. When I think about places right. like India and the incredible diversity in that country, or you know, a lot of regions when South Sudan broke off, like I was like, good. Generally, I think you know, good. These smaller countries that can be more directly controlled by the populace is preferable to these massive countries that govern whole lots of different right. people. But I'm I'm not sure about that. I, this is one of the things that I debate with myself about. Mm, I just because when I think about it, I I just don't think it would be a good call. What wouldn't be a good call? Smaller countries, bigger countries. The EU. Be- oh no, the EU becoming like a, a super okay country or whatever. Yeah. Like a you know, like a united European right, sure. states or the US of Europe. Yeah. They'd come up with. 
Yeah, yeah. But I just don't think that. I think that it'd create like a lot of conflict, and and then. Okay. I think it would also kind of like lose something because you know right now they're all separate countries, despite the fact that they have all the unity with the you know tariffs yeah. and the same currency or whatever. They'd all have to eventually, you know, all speak like a language. Well, no, they wouldn't. Do you don't think so? You don't think they'd have to like kind of well, you have, do like, see one quite a few countries. Like when I was in Peru, Peru has I think mm-hmm. three recognized national languages. There are large populations which I didn't know about before I got there that speak like Quechuan, like one of the native languages, you know. Um, yeah. There there are a lot of countries, like, for instance, when you look at Spain and Catalonia, that Catalonia has its own language that has existed for thousands of years and still exists. When you look at a place like China, they have lots of different languages. Now, you're right, a lot of places like China have moved away from that and, and tried to kind of standardize and, you know, get to one language. But when you look at a lot right. of places like India, India has, I don't know, 50, 60 languages, and they're all pretty distinct and they're not going to be the same language and not everybody's going to speak the same language yeah a lot of people speak english a lot of people speak hindi but you don't have to all speak i just i don't know i just i think that would happen in that particular situation like with the eu i think they would try to look for some kind of like uh standardization or uniformity and and that's what english is now like everybody uses english right which can i just for a small side note something that Uh i find so entertaining about the eu and something that i will be fascinated to follow going forward is the fact that they do pretty much all of their business in english and the uk Uh is leaving the eu right it will be such an entertaining thing for me when English is the primary language of business in the EU and the language that all governmental business is handled in, and yet the largest English-speaking country in the EU will be Ireland, which is like under 5 million people. Like, that's that's going to be so entertaining to me. That is pretty funny. And I can't see them moving it to Germany, or German, because there's so few people in some of right. those countries speak German that it would really, you know, mm-hmm. hurt a place like Portugal or a place like Ireland where no one speaks Germany or nobody speaks Germany. No one speaks Germany. You're really on this Nobody thing. speaks Germany. <laughs> I'm fascinated and find it really entertaining to watch this whole Brexit thing. As much as I was against Brexit and am saddened by the fact that Brexit is happening, I'm fascinated to watch all of the proceedings and how this happens. Like, it really is interesting. I mean, do you think they're going to try to change it? No, I don't. Like, over time? No, you think they're just going to be like, well, this yeah, is what I think we the direction's now. pretty well set. It, it's hard to change yeah. that sort of thing, and it's hard to change the momentum. Like when you look at the EU and you look at the countries and the educational systems in the EU, like when you start talking about trying to change away from English, everyone in Germany, everyone in Scandinavia, and I know most of Scandinavia is not in the EU, but you know, still, everyone in a lot of right. Eastern European countries learns English. I mean, even when you look at France, Italy, Spain, Portugal, they all require English mm-hmm. in school. They don't require any other language in school. Like, France requires a second language after that. So you need to learn French, obviously, and then you need to learn English. And then you can choose right. another language. But if they were to switch to another dominant mm-hmm. language, they would have to have everyone start learning that. Right. And that, that I just see as too big a shift. And it's not beneficial enough. Not enough people in the world and not enough countries in the world speak German to justify having everyone learn German. That's fair. Yeah, I guess on a like grander scheme of things, English is just more convenient. Yeah. Well, and you know, actually, in a weird way, in the way that everyone always talks about Esperanto being such a great thing because it's not 
the national language. I don't know if you know mm-hmm. much about Esperanto, but I know that there was like some attempt at trying to create like a weird universal you know, language for everyone to use. Or something. Right. It was the idea was you you remove all of the irregulars from language and you make a language that is as easy to learn as a language can be. And the right. idea is that because it's not from any one country, everyone mm-hmm. could learn it as their second language, and you don't have this kind of cultural imperialism that a lot of people talk about with English, where the U.S. and the U.K. export their culture all around the world because everybody learns English right. and everybody consumes their music and their movies and everything like that. With Esperanto, you can have this international, non-imperialist language that does all of this. So that's the idea. You know, I'm totally on board with a language that like everyone would be able to learn. Right, and Esperanto is extremely fun. easy to learn as languages go. Yeah, yeah. and I just think it would be fun to meet people all over the world who all speak this one language but have their own dialects, you know, and their own sayings from, like, all around the world. Sure, like, yeah. You know, the way that, like, Americans would speak it versus, like, the way, I don't know, people in, like, Kenya or South Africa would speak it or Japan or something. I don't know. It's just Well, and I will say that even with that ideal of regularity that Esperanto has, over time that would erode because when you get slang right. and you get stuff like that, I mean, things change. You don't, you're not going to have it be completely standardized like that in 100 years if everybody uses right. it. Right. I just mean just like within that time frame yeah. when everyone speaks it yeah. the same, more or less. It'll just it would be, be a really cool that, thing. Like, yeah. But what I was going to say is that with English, if yeah. the UK ends up actually leaving the EU and then, then there's no dominant English-speaking country in the EU, it almost has that Esperanto feel where everyone speaks this language that is not any one member's language. Right. It, it's not like they're learning another country's language. I mean, they are, but they're not learning another country in the EU's language, you know? It, right. It has that kind of interesting effect right. if that happens. Right, so you're going to have a bunch of non-native English speakers speaking English to each other. Exactly, yeah. Which is what you already yeah. have. Like, when you travel and you go to hostels and things, and you meet Europeans, or even if you meet, like, other people, not Europeans, Asians, Latin Americans, they all speak English to each other. Like, I remember I was in China, and I met this Spanish girl and this Portuguese guy. Sorry, not Portuguese guy, Brazilian guy. He speaks Portuguese. And they spoke to each other in English because their, like, Spanish and Portuguese were not good enough. Their, their English was better for both of them than their Spanish and Portuguese was for each other. And so it's, it's this very strange thing that even languages that are very close to each other, a lot of times they'll just still speak English to each other. It is funny. One of my favorite things when I was, like, working at uh, that car rental place and I had this, like, seasonal job when I was younger... Mm-hmm. Where, like, there's a lot of, like, international people that would come and stuff, and they would maybe not be able to speak any English at all, but they could speak maybe, like, Italian or Portuguese or something, Mm -hmm. and then sort of trying to decipher what they were saying. And so I would try to speak Spanish to them, and they'd be like, "Uh, uh, okay, like, I kind of get what you're saying now. The English was no good. The Spanish is better. And then sort of deciphering what the other trying to say. It was always kind of like a fun experiment to have. Just trying to it decipher could be funny. each other. I remember back in 2012, I was living in France and I went down to Spain with my parents. And I remember we were trying to navigate Barcelona and we were trying to find this uh, one place with these Gaudi houses where it's this architect who made just really weird, interesting, flowing buildings and things. Uh-huh. And we couldn't find it for the life of us. And we were trying to ask people and things. And just nobody seemed to speak English. And I kept having to be like, try to talk to them in English. No. Okay, try French. See if they know French. Okay, they kind of know French. They kind of understand some things. 
and just kind of I use the few Spanish words that I know at that time and just you know this back and forth of trying to figure out what the other person will understand and what you can communicate it's yeah it's, it's gonna be fun I mean it's frustrating also but I, I never found it frustrating even if it made something take like 10 times longer than it normally would take even if something that was like a one minute interaction became like a 10 yeah. minute interaction I always enjoyed it a lot well, I can imagine I it would kind of liven up your work day it's different if you're trying to find some place and it takes you an extra hour and a half because you can't ask directions that's fair but yeah yeah so i i will be watching with a lot of interest to see where this whole spanish thing goes i think that all of these sorts of political things and with the language in the eu and spanish potential dissolution they're, they're all really interesting and as much as i like the idea of stability it's fascinating to watch how things change and how people deal with these sorts of difficult issues it's sort of cool being able to just kind of witness something that may be historical yeah, it's, it's really interesting and so yeah. i'll be watching eagerly and i'm sure we'll have to follow up on this again when we see exactly where it goes and what happens but yeah i'm <laughs> six months later just ladies and gentlemen spain is on fire that is all. <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> they marched to madrid and burnt it down that's how that went that was the end of that country. Yeah, France just decided, we want Spain now. So they took it. Yeah, yeah so now that's Mega France. Yes. Mega we have France. Mega France. Italy's broken into six parts. Yeah. You know, that, that's that's the future. <laughs> that's where we're at. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll worry about that then. Yeah, exactly. You, uh, you want to wrap it up, Mike? All right. All right. I'll talk to you next week, man. All right. Bye. Have a good one.
Hold on, hold on. My phone is going off. Because okay. I don't know where I'm set. Because I'm an idiot. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Everyone heard him. He's an I'm idiot. I'm going to definitely cut that out. Oh, gosh darn it. <laughs>